If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to begin in just a moment. Joshua chapter 1 is our passage of Scripture this morning. If you can open up your Bibles to Joshua 1, we're going to begin in just a moment to read God's Word together. We're in the midst of a series, uh, guests, entitled Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, and we are working through the Old Testament and in the book of Joshua right now, and we are in Joshua 1. That's what we're going to read this morning, Joshua chapter 1. So open up your Bibles, your phones, and let's read God's Word together. Joshua 1, beginning in verse 1, we read, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and I will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things. So we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you. 
as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The title of the message this morning is Help Your Brothers. Help Your Brothers. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we gather together here this morning to hear your word preached, I pray, Holy Spirit, for your power and your anointing to come upon me, that I might deliver your word faithfully, and that we might be good hearers of the word, but doers of it also. Lord, we ask you for your blessing on us as a congregation, that we would be strong in the principles that you lay forth in this passage, and that we would love Jesus more as a result of hearing your word this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at two points uh, from the passage this morning. Um, The first one is be strong yourself, be strong yourself, and then secondly, be strong for others. Be strong yourself and be strong for others. Now, the, the title is to help your brothers. Help your brothers, and that's from the second half of uh, Joshua chapter 1, where it says in verse 14, to the, to the three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that they were to pass over arm before their brothers and shall help them. Just so you understand, these three tribes were already, they had received their inheritance on the bank of the Jordan that they were currently on. They had fought battles when Moses was still alive. You may remember this. And they conquered uh, Og, the king of Bashan, and Sihon also. These were Amorite kings that Moses and the people of Israel defeated. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh came and asked Moses, can we settle here? And it was granted to them to settle on the eastern bank of the Jordan. And so Joshua and the rest of the Israelites are about ready to pass over onto the west bank of the Jordan and to inhabit the promised land and to conquer the Canaanites as the Lord had determined. So the context of this passage right here is that Joshua is about ready to lead the people across the Jordan River and the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh were to accompany their brothers and their sisters from all the other tribes over onto the West Bank, even though their wives and children were settled in the East Bank in their houses already. That's kind of the context that we're in here in this section. And so the title is to help your brothers, but before we can help our brothers and our sisters, we must be strong in God ourselves. Um, you see this principle here where Joshua again and again is, is really commanded by the Lord to be strong and courageous. And he doesn't just command him that, he also gives him a means for that strengthening that we'll talk about in just a moment. But the principle of needing to be strong ourselves in the Lord so that we might be able to be strong for others is an important principle. We can't be strong for others for Jesus' sake unless we're strong in Jesus ourselves. Does it make sense? And it reminds me of in an airplane when they go through the beginning part of getting on an airplane and you're about ready to take off and they explain to you that if there's any great 
uh, decrease in elevation, that the oxygen mass may come down. And the instructions that they give is for us as parents, as adults, to put the oxygen mask first on ourselves and then to put it on our children so that we can be strong enough to save their lives in the event that that happens. The principle there is we need to make sure that we're taken care of and we're breathing in the oxygen so that we can then be conscious to be able to help our loved ones as well. It reminds me of that principle there. So be strong yourself. And you see here in um, verse 7, this command once again, be strong and courageous, Joshua, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it. Do not turn from God's law to the right hand or to the left that you may be a good success wherever you go. So there's a command for Joshua to be strong himself that he might also be a blessing to the people of Israel as he leads them forward. And that's a very important principle for us to, uh, to really meditate on this morning. And we looked at this in the last sermon, but I want to look at verse 8 in a little bit more detail because strength is something that we're all interested in in the Lord, but there's actually a means to that strength listed here in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, verse 8, when the Word of God says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. There's a there's a connection here between um, success and being prosperous in the Lord with meditating on the Word of God. And that's an important point that I think we need to take to heart again and again, brothers and sisters. It can't be said enough of the importance of meditating. And, and the emphasis here is on meditating on the word of the Lord day and night. That's the command given to Joshua. And, and, and here in a sense, it's important to note that there's never meant to be this time in our lives where we sort of compartmentalize our lives to, okay, I'm at church now, so let me hit the God switch on. And then when I leave church and I go to work on Monday morning, God switch goes off. We're meant to always be on as Christians. At church, at school, on our campuses, um, at our jobs, in our homes. There's never a time where we ever are meant to be off in the Lord. Now there's times where we have work and there's time where we have leisure laid out and times of rest that the Lord gives us. But even when we're resting our bodies and experiencing the Sabbath principle in our souls and getting rest to our bodies, we're not ever meant to check out from God. And here you see this meditating on the word day and night is meant to be a principle that marks us. In Psalm chapter 1, the word of God says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There again, the, the repetition of day and night is referenced. Uh, the word meditates here in Psalm 1, verse 2, is the same word in the Hebrew in Joshua 1, verse 8. And that word in the Hebrew is Haggah, 
And the, the primitive root for that Hebrew word means to murmur. It actually means you're actually speaking, you're uttering. That's another word for it, to utter. Um, meditating. And you see the contrast in verse 8 where it says, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. No, rather, the word of the Lord is to be in your mouth and to be uttered by your mouth. And we are to use our mouth to, to really murmur, if you will, the word of the Lord to cause our heart to focus on and then to ponder the word, to imagine the word and to really go deep into it, to study it, to utter it. And one other uh, related word, it's a different word in the Hebrew, but used also for meditation, means to converse with oneself. To meditate means to converse with oneself, or in, in this word Haggah, to, to murmur, or to, to literally to mutter. To have, the whether you're speaking out loud or just in private, quietly, day and night, we are meant to be walking so closely with Christ and so closely with His Word that it's always close to us and we're, it's in our mouth. That's what we are called to in relation to the Christian life. And I looked at this last time when we were talking about this, but it's important for us, I think practically, just to look at this. We tend to think in terms of just merely our devotional times. Am I having my quiet time? But I think the emphasis here goes even beyond that to praise God for your devotional time. And brothers and sisters, let us be strong corporately in our personal times in the Word, reading the Word. But we're not meant to just kind of do a quick hitter and then forget God for the rest of the day. We're meant to have that time with the Lord where we read His Word. But then I think by way of one practical application that might be of use to you, that helps me at times as I'm seeking to grow in this principle, try to find one phrase or even one word or one verse out of the section that you read in your devotional times to really hone in on and focus in on. And then keep that with you throughout the day somehow. Plug it into your phone, write it on your hand. I mean, you see this throughout Scripture where uh, that's actually commanded of God's people to keep the Word close to your heart and your mind. uh, Write it on your phylactery and and, uh, keep it close uh, to your person so that you, as you're just going through your daily life, you can meditate on the Word day and night. and, And you're never really shutting God's Word off. You're always on and you're always muttering the Word. You're always uttering the Word. You're always murmuring the Word in your own mind and in your heart. I think one of the big reasons that we uh, we can really kind of head downward is that we can so often just, just end up kind of being stuck in our own thought life rather than to bring the, the fresh, refreshing streams of God's Word into our thoughts to bring life into that in a book called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. We need to talk to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. I love that expression. Talking to yourself. Meditation 
involves reading the Word and pondering it, but you're actually recounting the Word. You're, you're muttering it. You're murmuring it so that it actually has positive effect to your attitude, to your thought life, to your demeanor, and to your actions as you're living your daily life. The Word of God's meant to function for us. Not just for just Sunday morning. The Word of God's meant to function for us moment by moment, hour by hour. The Holy Spirit through the Word empowering us to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we make the difference for the Gospel that we're called to make. A lot of times we're riding around on fumes. And the reason is, is we're very distant from the Word. We have a very practical command here given by way of application, and we see it here in Joshua 1.8, meditation. Meditation on the Word is a way that really, brothers and sisters, God gives to us. It's, it's, a, it's an excellent spiritual discipline. It can cause all of us to be revived in our personal faith in Christ, and I want to commend it to each one of us. Um, our thought life can be likened to a garden. Left untended, a garden will eventually become full of weeds. But when it's tended well, a garden can flourish with all kinds of good things and fruits and herbs and vegetables. Meditation on the Word is about growing so much good in your mind through the Word that there's no room for the weeds of your flesh, to take over. That's been a very helpful illustration in my mind. I remember one Christian saying that meditation is, is like, in, if, you're, if you're thinking of meditation in terms of candy, it's, it's a piece of hard candy rather than a piece of candy that quickly just gets eaten. It's a, it's a piece of hard candy that we're meant to extract the flavor out of over a prolonged period of time so that it has an enjoyable effect for long a longer time than just a moment. And we turn the word of the Lord around and around and around so that we extract the flavor of it and we go deeper in it and we enjoy it to the full and it has an effect on our lives. I don't know about you, but stress can lead me to really ponder to imagine and to mutter words under my breath or out loud, words of anxiety, worry, and fear. But anxiety and worry and fear are also a form of meditation. You're just pondering and you're muttering what you should not mutter. It's meditating on circumstances in your life without faith. That's where anxiety and worry and fear can often come from. Meditating on circumstances of our lives without faith. Looking forward to the week ahead without faith. And as we do that, the weeds start to grow up. And it's reflected in the, the thoughts that we have. You can wake up and just start automatically going into a new week. Oh man, this week is going to be so busy. I, man, I, there's no, I'm so exhausted right now. There's no way I'm going to be able to do all this this week. I, I, and, and, and you can start talking to yourself in that way, but you're not thinking about God and you're not thinking about His power that's going to come and help you that week. 
that same turn of thought that you all have and that I have can actually really be redeemed as we apply God's promises from his word to that very same direction of thought. Oh my goodness, I've got a busy week this week. It's going to be wonderful to see how the Lord provides for all my needs this week according to his riches and glory. He's going to give me the strength to serve him and the strength that he supplies, like Corinthians says. And meditating actually starts to cause the garden to bring up life so that as you're going, and if you've got God in your mind and you've got his promises in your mind, it just really, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean you're not going to have hard circumstances, but you're going to be meeting those circumstances with faith rather than out of fear or anxiety or worry. And this really matters to God. Our attitude, our demeanor is greatly affected by these things. So meditation, we, we're all meditating. It's not whether you meditate or whether you don't meditate. We all meditate. It's what are we meditating on? Are we meditating on life circumstances without faith? Or are we meditating on the Lord, on the word with faith? We're either meditating on lies or we're meditating on truth. And what God calls Joshua to do is to meditate on the truth. And this battle is so rigorous and so intense and it's so unrelenting. I mean, the enemy doesn't stop day or night, does he? So what we counteract that with, according to Scripture, is we meditate on the Word day and night so that we might have the shield up to block His darts that come with all of His filthy lies and there are thousands every day. Meditation keeps us in the full armor of God that we might stand on the day of evil. And so, brothers and sisters, the fight is real and one of the chief tools God gives us, one of the sweetest spiritual disciplines that I want to commend to us is here in Joshua 1.8. In fact, one of the things I wanted to do is to encourage all of us to uh, memorize Joshua 1 verse 8 and as a means to meditate on the importance of meditating on the Word so that we'll grow and being guided by God's truth rather than Satan's lies. You know, for many, to think is to sink. Because their meditations run immediately in the direction of pondering circumstances without faith. So in order to live, they need to arrange life so they don't have to think at all. They try to escape life rather than to engage life. And that's one of the reasons why in our culture, one of its chief idols is amusement rather than musing. Musing means to think deeply. Musing means to ponder, to turn it around. But our culture idolizes amusement. And amusement is the, the, the quest often of the absence of musing to just sort of vegetate. And to kind of go into hibernate mode when God's word's calling us to meditate day and night. Now, please understand, there's important times where we're meant to rest our bodies and to relax and and those sorts of things. But again, what I want to advocate for is that we never hit the God switch off. We don't hit scripture off. 
God's word is close to our hearts as we're resting on the couch and watching a show. And, and that can be very pleasing to the Lord when we engage in holy and consecrated leisure. And so meditating on the word day and night is not opposed to leisure. It just means even during your leisure, you don't hit the God switch off, but you actually engage the Lord. You think, and you don't give yourself over to amusement where you're actually seeking to not think at all. And so that, that's been actually very helpful for me to ponder. I hope that encourages you as well. I was thinking about meditation and thinking about the word, and it's been described elsewhere as, as the water of the word. And so if you think of meditation, it, it's sort of a, our minds can often be like a barren land, like a barren desert. Meditating on the word day and night is like the mountains melting their snow and bringing fresh, cold, refreshing water onto a dry and weary soul and bringing up life that flourishes in our souls. It's a means of grace that God has given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk filled with the Holy Spirit rather than living our life simply meditating on the circumstances of our lives without faith, giving ourselves over to anxiety and worry and fear and sinking thoughts. And it helps us to engage and to turn the word of God over in our mind actually brings new life into our soul. I was so blessed by Tom this morning talking about, he has memorized Psalm 103, but I don't know if you caught this, when Tom said about Psalm 103, he was saying, I just got a fresh insight from Psalm 103 on this one verse. Now, Tom's read that verse, and he's actually memorized it. He's recited it many, many, many times. The word's living and active. So even when you memorize it, a fresh dynamic of truth will come and pierce you and and and, and bring fresh life to you that you've never even been affected by before. An old, familiar verse brings fresh life. That's the way the Word of God works. And so meditating on the word is like bringing in a constant stream, a constant yield of fresh life and power into our soul. And I want to commend it to us. Brothers and sisters, there's simply no way to stay strong in the Lord unless we are meditating on the word of the Lord and keeping the word of God close. You know, there's many believers that the only intake of God's word that they get is if they go to church on Sunday and if they hear a sermon. Now listen, praise God for sermons. Sermons are a blessing to us. They're ordained by God to bring life to us. And God speaks to us through them and he feeds us. But I was thinking about this in relation to, I think we can get into a habit, even as we get older, of we we receive God's word from the mouths of other Christians. And that's good. That's important for fellowship. But God's word also commends Bible intake through our own feeding of ourselves. So it's not just about being encouraged by others, not just about hearing the word of God preached to our own souls, which is vital. It's also about feeding yourself the word of God. I was thinking of a of a, a little child in their, their high chair, and I remember uh, one of the joys as a new parent is, you know, taking the baby food and uh, 
feeding a baby and, and watching that baby eat and the baby's just enjoying it. I used to love like the peach gerber. Oh, I mean, I sometimes would want to eat the eat the uh, <laughs> the baby food out of the jar. It's so good. And watching uh, watching our daughters and our son partake of that was such a joy. But there's a time where what you're doing is you're seeking to train your son, your daughter, to eventually pick up the fork and the knife and the spoon and eat for yourself. The brothers and sisters, there's so many battles that we are facing in the Christian life in this fight of faith. And I want to commend to each one of us the good spiritual discipline of meditation. Ask for God to make you strong in Joshua 1 verse 8 that you and I might, by the grace of God, pick up the knife, fork, and spoon for ourselves and partake of the Word of God and turn it around so that we might stay filled with the Holy Spirit and be strong ourselves that we might be also a blessing to others. Amen? Let's uh, move to point two. I hope that some of those words of practical application were helpful for you as they were for me. We can't always wait for others to feed us. We need to dig deep into the Word ourselves in order to remain strong and to find strength and nourishment from God's Word. We have so much strength here that often we neglect because we fail to meditate on the Word day and night. Let us grow. And God, may you give us grace, each one of us as a church, in the church, to grow strong in this for your glory, for your name's sake. Secondly, be strong for others. Uh, This second half of Joshua 1 that we looked at here talks about the mighty men of valor from the, the men of the three tribes that I mentioned earlier going across the Jordan River ahead of their brothers and sisters in order to help them possess their portion of the promised land. In Joshua 1 verse 14, the word says, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. There's an important principle here in Joshua 1 that I think that we all have to really take to heart as Christians. And it's very applicable in the life of the local church. We've said this so often. And I think it's really important that what God desires for us to be concerned about as individual Christians, is not only that I run my race well to the end into the promised land, but that I do everything I can do in this life to help my brothers and sisters also finish and enter into the promised land and get their inheritance as well. This principle comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32 where this principle is laid out, and Joshua is actually reminding them of what Moses commanded them by the Lord after they had conquered and they were settling into their cities with all their livestock and their wives and their little ones had new houses and they were all settled. Moses said, you're going to go, man. You're going to go into the land. You're going to leave your wives and your little ones behind. So we have to understand here, this is just the men. The men of the half-tribe of Manasseh and Reuben and Gad are there, while the women and children 
were behind. Their families were behind them and war was in front of them. And this principle here is that being a part of God's covenant people means that we look out for our brothers and our sisters. And it's awesome. These armored men go before the ark of the Lord armed for war. They don't have to worry about their wives and kids being there because they're settled back in their homes that they had already inherited. And so these men are free to fight battle. And God puts them out in front, out ahead of all the other 12 tribes, because the men of those tribes had their wives and their kids walking in tow. And there might have been a great temptation to fear the Canaanites. But God, in his kindness, brought great encouragement to the rest of the 12 tribes by, by bringing these thirty to 40,000 men to cross over the Jordan ahead of them armed and ready for war. It's a great picture, really, I think, of of God's people walking together in oneness of purpose and in unity. In Philippians chapter 2, I was reminded of this principle, beginning in verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ and any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And this principle here is so important for each one of us as Christians to absorb. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Just stay strong yourself in Christ and you will help others to come to Christ and grow in Christ. But there's some practical application for discipleship that I want to hit from this principle in the second half of Joshua chapter 1. Would it be reasonable for some of the men of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had made the promise that they would go to fight, but their wives and kids are behind them and they're settling into their new houses. Would it, might it have been a temptation to say, you know what, I really, I wish I was with my wife and kids right now. And that might have even been their preference But I think one of the principles here that we need to take to heart is that we are not to be guided, brothers and sisters, by our personal preferences, but by biblical principle and by biblical command. You see these men, they answer Joshua in verse 16, all that you've commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. there's There's a sense that they knew they had given their word, to Moses, and they knew that now they were reaffirming their word to Joshua, and their, their, their wives and their children are behind them, and they're all settled. And very easily, they could have selfishly said, you know what? We've got our houses, and we've got our cities. We're good. You guys got this. Go ahead over the Jordan and take care of business, and God will be with you, and we're going to enjoy our lives now and rest and relax. We've been in the wilderness a very long time, 40 years. And you know what? It's time for some me time now. Very easily that could have happened, but disciples don't forget. 
disciples don't forget what has been done for them. And one of the things that we need to remember is that all the rest of the 12 tribes helped these two, these, these two and a half tribes to conquer Sihon and Og in battle. And the reason their wives and little ones were safe in the cities, in their houses and in their dwellings, are because their brothers and sisters helped fight to make it so. And so now these men are being godly men saying, hey, you know what? We are also going to keep that in mind. I'm not going to forget what has been done for me by God and what has been done for me by my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're with you and we're leading the way. Disciples don't forget what God has done for them and disciples don't forget what God's people have done for them. Others have fought to bring them into the promised land, and now their mindset is we're going to fight to make sure they get into the promised land and get settled as well. This is a principle for all of us to embrace. Disciples of Jesus, and this is some key discipleship points for us, are not just concerned about their own lives, but the lives of others. They're not just concerned about their own households and their own spiritual and material welfare. But I'm also called as a Christian to be concerned about the spiritual and material welfare of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Another important discipleship principle we can derive from this passage is disciples of Jesus are not mere consumers of ministry. But they are providers of ministry to others. Practically, let us be providers of ministry. Brothers and sisters of Christ's community, let us not come to church simply thinking, how am I going to be blessed today? But be thinking as well, how can I be a blessing to my brothers and sisters and help them on their journey today? It's very easy to just orient ourselves to questions like this. How am I being helped? Rather than asking the question, How can I help others? How am I being fed? Rather than, how am I feeding others? How am I being invested into? Rather than, how am I investing into others? In my church? And asking questions like, am I happy? Am I fulfilled? Rather than focusing on pouring ourselves into making others happy in Jesus. And doing all we can to fill others up with Jesus. That they might be prosperous and successful as well as myself. We often ask, how can my brothers and sisters help me? Am I being reached out to enough? Rather than asking, how can I help my brothers and sisters? And who can I reach out to, to encourage and strengthen? You see, church, and this this is something we excel in, but I want to put it on our radar because it's something I think that can morph over time and we can drift into sort of a selfish Christianity where we become consumers sitting in seats to show up for the show and to say, bring something to me. I want to feel it today. Rather than, no, Lord, how can I sacrifice for my brothers and sisters so that they are helped and on their way to their heavenly journey? I'm not just called to show up. I'm called to eagerly help doing all I can to be a blessing to others. 
to go to care group with a sense of mission in my heart to strengthen my brothers and sisters in Christ. I think one of our great ambitions, church, that we can look to and make a goal for ourselves personally. Young men, I want to challenge you with this. Young young ladies as well, but also all of us. Look to become a rock that others can lean on. Make it your ambition to be a rock that others can lean on in the Lord. To be so strong in God yourself that brothers and sisters around you can lean on you and derive strength. Let it be an ambition of your life, young men and women, to be pillars in God's church. To be strong for the Lord. To be strong in your schools for the gospel. To be the young man or the young woman that the kid in your school who is feeling broken and on the verge of breaking can come. And be refreshed and strengthened because you're a young man of the word, a young woman of the word. And of course, we all need somebody to lean on. There's times where we are weak, and that's where the church helps all of us. We can be leaned on, but also that we can lean upon others. But let our orientation be, I want to do everything I can to help my brothers and sisters settle in the promised land. And I'm not going to rest. I love that phrase in verse 15. Look at 15, Joshua 1. How long are we to help them? Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as he has to you. Let it be all of our hearts that we will not rest helping our brothers and sisters in Christ until we're all safely home. And that means we're never thinking of checking out. We're never thinking of retiring from helping God's people. We may retire from our jobs, but we will never retire from God's church and doing everything we can to strengthen and help our brothers and sisters on their heavenly journey. Amen? So let us aim and let it be our ambition to be rocks. God is our rock, but a godly man, a godly woman of the word is, is like a rock of spiritual strength for men and women and children to be able to lean on and be blessed by. And I'm so thankful for all of the rocks in our church. But let us strive to do even better and to stay strong through the years in the word that we may, by the grace of God, bear much fruit. I had the honor of conducting a 15-year marriage vow renewal this past Friday night of Alan Stacy Hoffman. One of the joys of that was I also had the honor of marrying them 15 years ago. It's not often that a pastor gets that honor and that vantage point of marrying a couple, but then also being there through the years to see their anniversaries one after another. And Alan Stacy glorified God by renewing their vows before God and before their care group. And we, Al and I were talking before the renewal and him and I, we were expressing gratefulness to God, but also gratefulness for the church and how the church has helped us keep our eyes on Jesus throughout the years and to stay close to Jesus. And as the church has helped us to stay close to Jesus, the church also has helped us to stay close to our spouses in our marriages. That's the church. We help one another. We strengthen one another in time of need. 
We keep pointing one another to Christ. We link arms and we hold fast to Christ together. And in so doing, we also help one another fulfill the Christian duties that God calls us to as husbands and wives and children of God. Oh, church, the church can be a glorious place when every single member comes in not thinking, hey, what's in it for me? But also comes saying, what can I do to be a help? to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's a lot of practical application there. And we'll leave the application right there for today. But no sermon would be complete. No sermon would be truly Christian without remembering this point. There's only one. There's only one. was perfectly strong himself and who was perfectly strong for others. He was broken. He was marred, Isaiah 52 said when we were celebrating communion. He was broken in his body, but he did not break in his obedience. He was perfectly strong and courageous. Our Jesus went up to the hill of Calvary and he died on that cross and he bled and shed his blood to atone for all of our sins. And he did that with all of hell unleashed on him. And all of his closest denying and fleeing from him. He died there alone on that cross. And even his father had forsaken him. Oh, we have one who was strong and courageous perfectly. And he died in our place, brothers and sisters. We have one who was perfectly strong and who has helped us and is helping us in every single time of need. We have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. Do we not? Aren't you all so thankful for the one who was perfectly strong in himself? And perfectly strong for us. And who died and rose again. To forgive us for all the times when we haven't been strong. And all the times when we have fallen short. When all the times we have been selfishly consumed and focused just on our own interests. Mark you, every single one of us would have gone to hell forever. For those sins. Had Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not come and been perfectly strong and died on that cross to atone for our sins, hasn't God been so good to His church? Hasn't He been good? And we now have the privilege of reflecting Christ and His other-centered, self-sacrificial love to this world. We have the privilege of representing that love also to our brothers and sisters and doing everything we can in this short earthly light to live for our Jesus who loved us and gave Himself for us. And let us fight and fight on remembering that every single one of us are going to end up safely home in the promised land before long. Let us hang in there. Let us keep fighting the good fight, brothers and sisters. Let us not give up. 
until all of our brothers and sisters are safely home. Then we can rest. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we're about ready to sell, celebrate Koinonia, our lunch, we ask certainly that you'd bless the food to our bodies and strengthen us. But Lord, I pray that our fellowship would be sweet. I pray that our reminders of Christ would be strong. I, God, I ask that this wouldn't be just a sermon that we hear, but a sermon that we apply. Lord God, I pray that we would meditate on your word day and night. God, would you rekindle a passion for your word read and your word murmured throughout the day. Let your word be on our phones and Lord, on all around our house, but most importantly, in our hearts. And I pray that we would mutter and murmur your word to ourselves, that we would converse with ourselves, your word. Lord, drive off every foul thought and every weed and drive away, Lord God, thoughts that are not worthy of you and let there be green gardens, Lord, that grow up here in each one of my brothers and sisters' souls where your word comes to life in their souls and that they are fruitful and prosperous and successful in their Christian lives, making the eternal impact that their lives are meant to make for you. Protect us from living a Christian life full of weeds that never gets out of the weeds because we fail to meditate on your word. Strengthen us, almighty God, and help our lives to change as a result of hearing your word this morning. And thank you so much that for every point where we have failed, Jesus, you were perfect. And that it's your perfect righteousness that we stand on, not on our own righteousness. We love you, Jesus, and we're so grateful to be your disciples. Help us to honor you and glorify you and walk in a manner worthy of you more and more in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, church. Let's enjoy our wonderful Koinonia luncheon together. God bless you.